I don't know how many of you have ever done something in your life that you felt really bold about in the moment. I mean, as you thought through the process and there might have been some rules involved or maybe there were supposed to be rules and you decided to override those rules, but in the moment you said, I'm going for it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to be bold. But then after the event, you kind of were a little more reserved about what occurred. And I was thinking about a moment in my life. I was in the fifth grade, Signal Mountain, Tennessee. I was going to Thrasher Elementary. We had just gone through a snowstorm, an ice storm, and there was uh, ice packed on the sidewalks at our, our school. And they had cleared a way for us to get to the playground area. And I remember before being dismissed for recess, the principal's voice came on the overhead uh, speaker and said, Remember, kids, when you go outside, there's no sliding on the ice. We want to make sure that everybody is safe. There is no sliding on the ice. And you probably already see where this is going. So we got outside. Now, I'm a, I'm a firstborn. That means I tend to be a rule follower. I don't want to get in trouble. I'm reserved generally when it comes to rules, and I want to, want to please. But as we got out there, what I noticed was my friend group were, were sliding on the ice, and they were having a lot of fun. And I thought... You know, maybe I should be bold in the moment. Maybe I should just go for it. And so, so I did, and we had a lot of fun. But then recess was over. We lined up in our classroom lines. And then the teachers began the monologue from the front sidewalk. And they said, who here was sliding on the ice? Because we saw you at a distance. Go ahead and fess up. We've got you on camera. They did all these kind of different things to make us confess. And several people raised their hand, and they got moved to a separate line. Except Tim, I was just going to stand there in my line. I wasn't going to say too much until a voice came from the other line that said, Tim Hall was sliding on the ice. I said, wow, call me out. Okay. So I had to go to the other line when that line got to go to the principal's office. And it was a day and age when we got spankings. Anybody remember spankings from the administration? Kids, several adult hands just went up quickly. And you know that they had to suffer. We did. And we got spankings that day, but we decided to do something bold, but later was a little reserved about it. Now, I want to tell you that as we kind of walk through this series in the book of Acts, our theme this year is Better Together. And my prayer for each and every one of you is that you would be bold for the cause of Christ. That, that you would live outside the, the script of what the world gives you to do. And to say and be determined that I'm going to live for Jesus out loud every day. And I don't care what the world is telling me to do. That I want to be bold for what he's called me into and the kind of life that he's called me to live. And that's the idea that we're going to look at today in Acts chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. We'll be there in just a few moments. Last week, we took a look at Acts chapter 2. And what we saw was the, the emergence of this thing that we call church. And we get to be a part of that today, not just on a Sunday morning, but every single day we're part of the body of Christ. And that, that first century church were doing things that the world had never seen before. It didn't matter if you were a slave owner or a slave in the body of Christ, you're the same. It didn't matter if you were male or female in the body of Christ, you're the same. It didn't matter if you had a bulging bank account or you were homeless in the body of Christ, you're the same. And church, that is an exciting idea for you and me. That it doesn't matter your background, where you're from, country of origin, color of your skin. It doesn't matter. In Christ, we are the same. And the world looked on at this thing called church, and they discovered that they were in each other's 
homes every day, sharing meals together every day. People who before Jesus would not interact. There, there were people who were sharing their possessions one with another. There were folks in the church who had stuff but saw others who didn't have anything and they would sell the stuff to make sure that other people had food on their table. That they worshiped together every day. They had meals together. And the world looked on at this idea of church and they were astounded by what they saw. People living boldly for the cause of Christ. And in our text today, what we're going to discover are a couple of guys who decide that they're better together, not only with Christ, but with each other. And they are going to stand boldly before the weight of the authority of the entire Jewish nation and speak for the cause of Christ. But before we get to chapter 4, we have to to introduce that with chapter 3. There are two disciples who are going to prayer in chapter 3 in the afternoon, as the Jewish nation normally did. And they've got to walk to get to where they're going to go to worship. And so as Peter and John are walking to go to the prayer time, they pass through this area called the Gate Beautiful. And there is a, a lame man who's been lame since birth, and he's lying on the ground there. His friends, family bring him there. He begs for the food that he gets to eat. He wants money so he can buy that food. And everyone that's walking through the gate, and they see this man every single day, they recognize him, they know him by name, some donate, others pass by, and he's just asking for help. And when Peter and John get to that point in the gate beautiful, and they look down at the man and they say, look at us, and the guy thinks he's about to cash in. And so he looks at Peter and John, expecting something to go in his hand, And Peter says, I don't have gold or silver, but what I do have, I'm going to give you. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And with that, Peter puts a hand out, helps him to his feet. Remember, this man has not walked his entire life. And suddenly he is in the elevation with everyone who is walking by. The Holy Spirit infuses his body and his strengthens his feet and his ankles and his legs and suddenly he realizes he's standing on his own which he's never done before suddenly he's jumping up and down the smile begins to increase on his face he's walking back and forth he's thanking God for what's happened in his life he begins to run around and suddenly people who have passed him every single day recognize him and the miracle that's just happened people gather around and it's creating a commotion that's what Jesus tends to do right creates a commotion. And the authorities that are in place in the day don't really like what's going on. They want to investigate, which is where our story picks up in chapter 4 of Acts, verse 1, beginning. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priest, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there was a resurrection of the dead. Now, it's important to stop here that that that's here in the text because we hear a lot about the teachers of the law. We hear a lot about the Pharisees. We don't hear so much about the Sadducees. Why is it important they're inserted here? Because, see, one of the platforms that the Sadducees believed in was that there is no resurrection. 
And here is Peter and John talking about their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who, by the way, is now a common name in Jerusalem. They know all the events of the day. They're teaching about resurrection, not only of the Lord and Savior, but if you believe in Jesus, you too could have that same event happen in your life. Verse 3. So they arrested them, and since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed it, so the number of believers now totaled about 5,000 men, not counting women and children. Church, in just a few days, the church has grown to thousands of people who believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who believe that Jesus is someone who can change their life. They look at the life of the church and they realize something is very different and it's because Jesus has entered these people's lives is why we want to be a part of the process too. We want forgiveness, salvation, resurrection. We want a family like we've never had before. You see, you can try to silence people all day long, but church, you will never silence the gospel of Jesus Christ. It will reign and exist forever. There's an interesting point in the middle of the Gospel of Mark in chapter 8. It's the hinge, it's the, the pivot point in the Gospel. And Jesus is talking to all of his disciples and he says, listen, I, I'm interested, who do people say that I am? And they begin talking about dead prophets and past great men, Elijah, John the Baptist. And, and Jesus finally says, well, okay, who do you say that I am? And Peter pipes up right away and he says, you are the son of God, the Messiah, the chosen one we've been waiting on. You are him. And Jesus says on those words, I'll build my church, which is what Peter and John and so many thousands of others are experiencing in the day. The power of Jesus' name is phenomenal. Jesus even goes on to say that we discovered two weeks ago at the end of Matthew, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. There is nothing that Jesus bows to. Everything in the cosmos voices that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. And our story goes on in verse 5. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of the religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. They brought in the two disciples and demanded by what power or or in whose name have you done this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man who you crucified, but whom God has raised from the dead. Understand that you've got two disciples who, first of all, believe they're better together, but also infused with the Holy Spirit, stand before the weight of all the authority that Israel has to offer 
and tells them about Jesus. How bold is that? Knowing that, that anything could happen, death, imprisonment, anything. But they're not stopping talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the powerful name of Jesus, which can do anything. See, Paul knew about this kind of power, and he writes about it when he writes to the church at Colossae. We studied through the book of Colossians right before Easter last year. And in chapter 1, Paul writes this eloquent moment where he describes how powerful Jesus truly is. Most scholars believe the text that we're about to read. Most of them believe that, that it was a first century, first church hymn. In other words, they sung it during their worship time together. Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, Christ is the invisible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things that we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead, so he is the first in everything. Paul says, Jesus is so powerful that everything that we know about and don't know about was created through him and for him. In fact, his power holds the entire cosmos together. That's how powerful our Lord and Savior is, church. He is incredible. Do we, do we believe as the church, though, that, that he's really that powerful? I mean, when we unpack the, the gospel accounts, and we, we look at all the wonderful things that that Jesus did while he was here on earth. I mean, he took a sack lunch and, and he divided it out so that thousands of people were fed from one, one sack. He, he walked on water. He confronted Mother Nature and he calmed the storm. He raised people from the dead. He healed those people who couldn't see, couldn't hear, couldn't walk. He was part of creation and is in all creation. He's an incredible Savior. And when we pray that we would have the boldness to proclaim how awesome our Savior truly is, when we pray things like we want our prodigal adult child to come home to Jesus, when we pray that, that God would open avenues for direction in jobs and careers so that we can put food on the table for our families, when we pray for our marriage to be as healthy as it possibly could, when we pray for ourselves to submit to his will in our life, when we pray that the cancer would be cured, when we pray that, that a COVID event would just finally go away, do we believe really that Jesus Christ has the ability to do anything 
Do we believe he's that powerful? Because church, I know that I serve a risen Savior who can do absolutely anything he wants. He's that powerful. And so in our own lives, we're called to shine brightly, to to let other people know how incredible our life is because Jesus is in it and because you guys are in my life too. That that we're the best possible version of ourselves because Jesus Christ has come and saved us. And that I'm a better version of myself because I journey with you along the way. You see, the authorities thought, we've killed Jesus. It's time to, to take care of the disciples. But what the authorities didn't recognize about the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's, it's kind of like trying to put out a California wildfire with a water gun. It's just not going to work. Church, our Jesus will never be silenced. He is the only one who is worthy of our worship, who is worthy of our life. And we need to live in such a way that we are bold in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, with our families, interacting with them to share with them how incredible a Savior that we have. I mean, he is the one that we can turn to and run to more than anybody or anything else. The psalmist knew this as he writes Psalm 118, and he says, In my distress, I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. I mean, what can mere people do to me? Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. I will look in triumph at those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. Jesus Christ is our fortress. There is no other name by which we can be saved other than Jesus Christ. And Peter is trying to tell the authorities of his day, he says, look, you took Jesus and you threw him in the rubbish pile. You put him out in the burn stack. You decided he wasn't worthy of anything. But my God says that Jesus is the cornerstone of all life. Last week I mentioned in 1989, I went to the Air Force basic training. I'm not sure it was the best decision of my life, but that's what we did. Uh, No, we had a great time serving our country. But In basic training, there's a thing called a guide-on, and it's uh, 50 guys in a flight, and the guide-on is the guy that carries the the squadron flag. And when the DI says to fall in, everyone looks to where the flag is, and that's where they fall in, wherever the flag is, to to the left of the flag and behind the flag, until you have a square of guys. And we, we do arm's length apart and arm's length from the guy in front of us until we're all formed up, dress right, dress. But it's the flag that we're looking at in order to be in alignment. And see, Paul reminds us and other writers that Jesus is the cornerstone of life. And it's on him that we align everything that we do. The cornerstone is that the first foundation stone that's laid when you're going to build a building and everything else, all the walls, the terraces, the rooms, everything comes off of that one stone in order for it to be true and right and perfect. And Peter and John are trying to tell us 
that Jesus is that cornerstone. It's not a parachurch organization. It's not a pastor or a preacher. It's not your specific ministry. But Jesus, that's important. Now, I'm not a grandparent yet. How many of you are grandparents? Go ahead and raise your hand. I have heard the stories about your grandkids, and you will not shut up. <laughs> you love those kids. I mean, you're talking about their ball games and how they did academically and what achievements they had, and rightly so. I'm going to be there too one day when I'm a grandparent. You talk about them all the time. The question I have for all of us is, do we talk about Jesus all the time? Because he's the most important thing in our life. I mean, take, take a look at what the disciples do in verse 19 and 20. It says, but Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything that we have seen and heard. They can't stop talking about Jesus. And you and I in our own lives should be bold enough that every single day we should look for ways that we can help people understand how important Jesus is to them in their own life. And my prayer is that we would be that bold. I mean, our, our goal here as a church is not to be the biggest church on the block. It's not to be the, the loudest. It's not to be the one with the most attendance or the, well, the most well-known our, our goal here is that we would speak the name of Jesus every day. We want his name lifted up on high. And so questions that you and I can ask in our own life personally and as a church. Right now, what would give you, God, glory in my life? When our feet hit the floor in the morning, that should be one of the first questions we ask. God, how can I serve you today? How can I lift your name up today? What can I do for your cause today? How can I lean into my marriage and make it everything that you've called it to be? How can I be an example for my kids on how to love Jesus? How can I be that encouraging light in my office or neighborhood? What can I do, God, to bring you glory in my life? Because ultimately what we know, church, is that Jesus is the only one who saves. He's the only one, the only name above all names. And those people in that first century are looking at that early church and they are absolutely astonished at their boldness, at their ability to live together, to work together, to move together in one direction, and that one direction is Jesus Christ. One of the the comforting verses from this story is found in verse 13 for me and you. I think it's comforting. It says, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. It's comforting in that Peter and John are just ordinary people like me and you. But yet, they're filled with the Holy Spirit to be bold every day in your context. To say, I'm going to live for Jesus in this moment, in this way. I'm going to shine my light for Jesus in this way. They were ordinary guys, but also they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And that's a call for me and you every day to live in the presence 
of Jesus. You and I are called to live the kind of life where the people around us who don't know God, who don't know Jesus, will scratch their head and ask the question, I wonder why she acts like. I wonder why he talks like. And ultimately what we know, the answer to that question is found in verse 12. There is salvation in no one else except Jesus. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And the only reason that why we can be those lights and helps and encouragement wherever we find ourselves is because Jesus lives within us. There is an incredible end of the story in verse 21, and I think it's so refreshing. As we look at the news and we look at the world around us, even in our own country, the different riots that happen, the different uh, marches that occur, not only here but around the world, against things that are going on in the world around us, people taking a stand. Verse 21. The council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd love to be a part of that march and that riot, wouldn't you? Jesus is so powerful that he cannot be ignored. You see, Jesus changes everything for all of us. He is an incredible Savior. And my prayer is that you and I would be so bold as those first century Christians that we would live life in such a way that we would want people to know Jesus. That, that every word off of our tongue would be one of encouragement and uplifting, not condemnation, but one of pointing people to the Savior of the world. That, that we would not care about what happens to us personally, but that Jesus' name be glorified and exalted. That's my hope. My prayer is that each and every one of us would recognize and know that we are the best version of ourselves we could possibly be with Jesus living in us. And I'm better together with you sharing that message. That we don't stand alone. His Holy Spirit indwells within us. And together as the people of God, we will shine brightly for the cause of Christ. Be bold, church. And tell others through actions and words what Jesus has done for you. That's the call this morning. And my hope is that if there's something in your life that's holding you back from ultimately saying yes to Jesus, being baptized into his name, raised out of that water, a brand new creation, washed clean but full of the Holy Spirit, ready to tell that story, today is your day. Don't wait one more minute. And maybe there's something going on in your life where you've already done that. You've made that proclamation, but you're anxious and worried about people in your life or things and my prayer is that God would come into your life and ease that anxiety, that they would help you move past that so that you can be bold. And as we sing this next song, our shepherds in the wilds will be gathered along the wall of this room, and I'd encourage you to go find one of them. Let them pray for you and over you. Let them lay hands on you to remind you you're a chosen person of God. You're part of his family. He lives within you. Now let's all stand as one voice and one family to praise his holy name.